Connacht Rugby coverage brought to you with thanks to Murty Rabbits Galway, the ultimate rugby venue. With late night entertainment every Friday and Saturday nights till 2 a.m. Visit Murty Rabbits Instagram for more. Murty Rabbits, proud partner of Galway Bay FM's coverage of Connacht Rugby. Willie, lovely to have you along here on Galway Bay FM. Thanks very much. Good to good to get the opportunity to sit down and have a, a good rugby conversation. Well, that's what we're all about. Rugby <laughs> is the name of the game. Um, it's a busy time. Um, Connacht are still active on two fronts in the URC and Europe. Um, uh, Pete Wilkins has now the head coach for next season. So I'd like to get an idea of how that process works because I think people are kind of going, yeah, well, we knew he was going to be the head coach. I mean, why didn't they just announce it in October? Yeah. <laughs> um, could have saved an awful lot of hassle. All right. Um, no, look, I mean, when we, when we um, made it known that Andy was finishing up at the end of the season, I think it was around the middle of November or so. And... Um, we were very clear that we were going out to look for whoever was going to be the best head coach to take us forward. And we were very determined to go through that in a very robust manner and to make it a very comprehensive process. So as much and all as we would have known that Pete would be part of that process, we weren't entered into on the basis of Pete was the answer. Um, and that was made very clear to Pete that if he was going to get the job, he was going to earn it and that we needed to, to go through that process to be able to satisfy all of our stakeholders, all of our supporters, everyone else, that we did actually go through uh, a proper process. And, uh, and that's what we did. We don't stick an ad in the paper and say, you know, wanted head coach. Uh, the ad is actually the day that you announce that your current head coach isn't going to be there. It is, it's incredible. Like literally by the close of business that day, we had CVs in our inbox. So that's how quickly some of it can kick off. And, um, you know, so, so and when I say we, then in terms of the process, the, I'm involved. David Nusafor is involved. Um, and we have a professional rugby committee, and so we have two people particularly who were involved in this process from that as well. Um, Connor Lachlan, who's a former player, um, currently the CEO of Glowfox, who are uh, a software uh, provider for gym membership. Um, he's done very, very well for himself. And Ron Lockney, who's been a Connacht rugby stalwart for, for many, many years. Um, these are guys who have the the best interests of Connacht Rugby at heart, who know what it is to be like a player, to be a player. In Connor's case, he knew what it was like to be an agent thereafter. So they were bringing, uh, uh, you know, a really good perspective from to help uh, the overall process. And from David's perspective, David doesn't impose himself on anything that we do in that regard. We're just very lucky to have the benefit of someone who's vastly experienced. I mean, you're talking about someone who, you know, dealt with Joe Smith and then managed the transition from Joe Smith to the, you know, to first to the recruitment of Andy Farrell and then to the transition to Andy Farrell. So you're getting the benefit of all of that experience. Um, and that's, that was really, it always is really, really helpful with, with David involved. And so then you spend um, a number of weeks uh, getting all the information on the different people that might be interested in the role and you try and whittle them down to the ones that are of interest 
and then you try and whittle it down a little bit further to the ones that we would be really interested in and to any of them that we might be interested in speaking to and finding out more information about. Um, and so like any search process, like, I mean, if there's any significant role in any organization, it takes two to three months. And that's what it was. It was around three months, actually, which is pretty much um, what we would have expected when we entered into it to go through it properly and to have Christmas in the middle. Um, when you say there that the CV started coming in, what sort of number are you dealing with there and how many people are actually? I'm not going to ask you who applied, but I'm just trying to get a feel for this. I know it goes on in every club at every this time of the year, every year. Yeah, look, I mean, you could end up with 30 or 40 CVs. Um, and some of those immediately, you know, they're not really in the running. So you can very quickly get down to less than 10 of very serious, credible candidates. They're the kind of numbers. And you're then trying to, you know, ascertain who are the ones that would have the right fit across a number of different areas that you're, you're looking for. And is the role now that Pete has, does it almost include a director of rugby role or will that be still a separate role? No, look, I mean, you know, funny enough, we've never really had director of rugby. I mean, this is the only year we've ever had director of rugby. And in many respects, that was just an evolution of the way in which Andy and Pete had started to work together. That's how they felt that they, their combination was working best. And so... Um, you know, in a, in, a, in a sense to try and provide some sort of clarity. In other, in other places, it's called head coach, senior coach. It was called that. But I suppose there was a little bit of ambiguity in, uh, you know, in terms of what, what does that mean? And so, you know, they chose to kind of to, re, to rename it in terms of director of rugby head coach. But it was more of an evolution. And so from the outset here, we weren't really looking to go back to a DOR type um, setup. Um, I, where that goes in years to come, I, I don't know. But it's, it's, it's not something that's in the immediate kind of so, so, so you, horizon. You could sort of say for Pete then, if you, to quote the old Harry Truman statement, the book stops here. It's, oh, absolutely. Yeah, it's, yeah. He's, he's now the director, head coach of Connacht Men's Professional Rugby. It, it, it all goes through, through him. Yeah, yeah, as would have been the case with the previous head coaches before that. Yeah, no, that's that's it. And why did you give him the job? Why was his the best uh, approach that you saw when you talked to whoever you talked to and the people? Yeah. What, what did he bring you? What did you see? Considering that he's been here for a long time, but he still had to... Um, explain or make a case for himself. Yeah, absolutely, he did. Um, look, first of all, Pete is uh, a really super person. And I don't say that lightly, because remember, when you're going out to recruit people, you're dealing largely in the unknown. And so when you bring people in, you're first and foremost uh, looking for someone who's going to be a really good fit in terms of the person that they are, how do they adapt to us, um, what's the cultural fit. And so we knew exactly what Pete was about in that regard. So that was really, really important and not something that we were taking a punt on. Um, second piece is he's a really, really good coach. And we knew that. We knew that from when Pete arrived um, a number of years ago and us being able to see the growth in him over the period of time. And that was further validated in terms of him being involved in the New Zealand tour last year in Ireland and even the growth that he was able to take from that 
and the growth in the last year or two in terms of the additional on-pitch responsibilities that he, he would have had as well. So we knew he was a really good coach. He's also a super bright person, um, very, very strategic. So as much in all he, as he's a, he's a non-pitch coach, he gets the bigger picture. So at a program level, at a rugby program level, um, he absolutely knows what it takes to run a program. He's super organized. And, um, and as I said to you, he gets the bigger picture. The other part then is in terms of he gets us and when I say us, I mean the current Connacht rugby model. And, you know, when you, when you, when you go out to bring people into an organization, they have to get and have to have not just the competencies, but also the mindset that you require. So our model is that we have to um, identify players, first of all, that maybe others haven't seen the, 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 the true potential of their talent. And then we have to be capable and committed to the development of that talent. There are certain coaches out there who are really, really good coaches, but they've moved beyond the point where they any longer have the patience to develop talent or that they have the appetite to develop talent and to get down and dirty as opposed to building a squad through simply signing and recruiting a squad with a checkbook. And, and that's a model that suits some clubs. It doesn't suit us. So Pete understands our model, our imperfections, our needs, much more so than someone who would be coming in from outside. And again, to make sure that that person would have the capability and the commitment to, to do the polishing and to, to continue with the development of players that's something that we knew Pete was going to be able to bring to it as well so when you, when you take all those different attributes and you, you, you stack them up on top of each other um, then you're going to look at other candidates through each of those lenses and you're trying to ascertain so where would it be on this and where would it be that and where would be the other and some of them will be positives and some of them will be negatives and in, in summary, we felt that Pete was the person who was best placed to take the program forward, to take the club forward, given what we know about him, given what he knows about us, and given what we think he's capable of achieving. He, he was able to communicate a really, really powerful vision for where he wanted to take Connacht Rugby, um, take this particular group and take the group thereafter. So, um, you know, that, that, was, that was something he communicated to us. And it's, it's, it's fine. I mean, I work with Pete on a daily basis anyway. But for people like David Newsfour and others who don't have that daily interaction with him, um, they, were in, they were very, very impressed with that as well. So that brings me to the question of about the rest of his team. Uh, it's going to be is it going to be three more people coming in? Uh, yeah, most likely we we um, you know we've confirmed uh, Cullum, who are delighted, genuinely delighted that he's he's staying on with us. Cullum's a really really good coach. Um, he's had a really significant impact in terms of the the scrum this year in terms of the breakdown. So um, we're delighted with that. Um, we'll be looking to recruit an attack coach, a defence coach. And a lino coach, yeah. So those those three areas. And are you disappointed that you haven't been able to keep maybe the rest of the team together? I mean, it's it's not confirmed, but the consensus is that Devolt Senegal is is gone, and there's also the 
uh, Mossy has gone back to his homeland, back down to Munster to bring his, his, his expertise there. I, yeah, look, I mean, at the end of the day, people will make their own decisions as to what they want to do. And uh, Mossy's been here for a good few years. He's a really good guy. And an opportunity came up to, to, to coach with Munster. Um, he lives down there. And I genuinely wish him all the best. He's, he's a super guy. As the same with Dervalt. Fairness, um, I think Dervalt has been very good for us over the last couple of years, and we've been very good for him. He wasn't coaching uh, full-time at the time. He got an opportunity with us. Um, we took a punt on him. He took a punt on us, and it's played off. And he now has an opportunity to return back to France and to coach in France. And, um, and genuinely, I think you know, he'll, he'll do very well there as well. And uh, we've been very uh, fortunate to have the benefit of his uh, his coaching acumen over the last couple of years. So, yeah, look, I mean, this is the nature of professional sport. Um, and uh, and the job now is to focus on getting in um, new coaches in those roles who will take it on to the next level again. Is John Muldoon going to be one of those coaches? Oh, I have no idea. I have no idea. You want to ask people who'd know about that. <laughs> <laughs> Well, well, can I ask you this? Yeah. Who drives it? I mean, it's obviously, does the head coach say, right, these are, you don't impose on him and say, well, you're, he's going to be your defense coach. He's going, no, I will. No, I'm, absolutely. I'm going to pick these guys. No, absolutely. And and that's why, that's why, um, I mean, the, the, the reality of the situation with the assistant coaches, the assistant coaches, I didn't sit down with them and give them a new contract because that's the prerogative of a new head coach. A head coach should be able to put their team together. And so that's not for me or anyone else. That's not for David who's forward to say, right, you're there, there, there. And then, by the way, this is the team you've inherited. Um, that, that, that was very deliberate that we would not do that. And that Pete now has an opportunity to, to put his team together. And he's already having conversations with, um, with a number of different people across the areas that I've just spoken about. And, um, and then he'll come to us and he'll say, look, this is what I'm thinking about. And then, you know, that, that'll be for him to decide ultimately, um, unless there's something completely mad that, that, and, you know, people won't, be, people won't be coming up with any mad solutions in that regard. But genuinely, that's for him, that's for him to decide. Just talking about that succession planning and the overall ethos of where Connacht are, is there enough focus here? Is there a hardness about winning? The inconsistencies that have come through this season and last season at times are very frustrating for everybody. And I'm picking particularly this year the Newcastle away game that could have opened a gold mine uh, of three home games and didn't. And in the end, we have to go away now to a difficult game in Treviso because the Italian national side seems to now be Treviso when they're playing club rugby. Um, how does that work, and how does how how do you try to influence that? I kind of I, I kind of laugh small, but in in terms of a question about whether there's a hardness around winning, because um, you you ask anyone who's married, living with, or in anyone, any way has a relationship with anyone who's involved around the team, whether it's players, whether it's coaches, whether it's the rest of the staff. And you'll quite quickly find out just how much losing hurts. Um, you know, I've said this before that winning or losing determines what your whole weekend is like around your family, 
around your kids and everything else it it will stress you out to the point where you question why you do it but you know as i said before you you know it's a case of your passion is your cross you can't do without it and yet it bloody hurts um so in terms of how i influence it uh, at, at times i would have to be i'd have to manage my own um emotions because i am so competitive like i mean i've played for connacht i i i i hate losing and uh but at the same time, my job isn't to go into the dressing room and start giving out to coaches or players and everything like that. You know, my job is just to make sure that we're on the path, we're, we're trending in the right direction. And I believe we are. I believe we are. I mean, look, you know, it, it, it's funny. When you look at the URC, the way the competition is structured to make it commercially viable as much as everything else is that you have um, a disproportionate number of derby games. We just happen to have the three probably toughest derby games that there is to have in the tournament. So straight away, we have an uphill push. But we secondly then have a situation whereby where there's a move away from meritocracy in terms of the structure of the tournament. So if you finish first out of your pool between the two Scottish and two Italian sides you would go ahead of us if we weren't one of the leading Irish sides. So, I mean, there are a number of different elements. So to be really competitive in this tournament is not easy. And we're sitting in the playoff spaces right now, despite a really difficult start. And so, like, would we, be, would we prefer to be further up? Absolutely. Absolutely we would. But, you know, if you take the teams that are ahead of us, is it three... Irish provinces who are incredibly strong. You have the three powerhouses of South African rugby who are incredibly strong. And you have Glasgow, which is almost entirely made up of Scottish internationals. We're not doing too bad either. We want to be better than that. We genuinely want to be better than that. But we also appreciate this is really, really competitive. So I think where we are right now, we're in contention for that knockout spot or for that playoff spot. We're in contention for Champions Cup rugby next year again. Um, and yes, the, the move away from meritocracy makes that particular one trickier. But are there teams that are absolutely within sight that we can catch without a doubt? And I can tell you that is absolutely the focus of the coaching staff and the players to achieve that. And then we're in the last 16 of the Challenge Cup. And again, I completely share everyone's frustration with us not winning in Newcastle. I completely get that. I mean, you know, there isn't anyone who will watch that and won't have been completely gutted. And a, a very significant number of, of um, supporters went off, went over, and they would have been cheering and shouting. <laughs> you know, there's people at home who were cheering and shouting at the television, um, including myself. I was here because we had we were playing Munster in the the women's interbro that day, and so, you know, I'm shouting at the TV the same as everyone else. When you're watching a game like that, are you watching it as a CEO or are you watching it as a fan or is there a kind of a, are you flipping between the two? Because you're uh, like, I mean, you just, like if you care, whether it's CEO or like, I mean, like 
games are very, very difficult to watch as a CEO. First of all, you're, you're worried about whether you're going to get the win or not. And as soon as you've secured the win, then you're hoping, can we get a bonus or not? And then as soon as you get the bonus, you're hoping, can we get the players off the pitch without an injury? And then you're hoping, if it's at home, that no one has got injured within the overall crowd and the event went off all right. And then you're checking, what's the final ticketing number? So um, there, are, there are times when you're, you're thinking CEO, but ultimately when players are on the pitch, you just want us to win. Like it, it's like it's hard to explain. It's hard to explain. Like I tried not watching the matches. I tried sitting in the office here. I tried watching it on my computer in the office, but there's unfortunately a delay, and so I was hearing the cheering in the crowd before I could see it. The, I mean, it's 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 that type of emotion. I I could never be a coach because it's just too hard to regulate your emotions around that. So, um. So yeah, so everyone would have felt that from Newcastle. We didn't win that one. And we didn't win that one because of the first 20 minutes. And and even at that, one pass that was a judge to be going forward, and that's fair enough. Um, probably as forward as the one that was the last pass for Newcastle, but there you go. Um, and we win that game. And we didn't win it. And I, I, I completely get everyone's frustration, but I can assure you the players were frustrated, the coaching staff were frustrated. And I know people will say, well, how much does that cost you financially? At the end of the day, it cost us in terms of us being able to have a home draw so that we could progress and home, another home draw to progress so that we can win silverware. If we're winning silverware, numbers take care of themselves. And that's what I've stressed to the coaches. Don't be hung up on the numbers in terms of the finance just focus on the performance piece. And if we're winning, it's amazing how much that fixes. Um, it doesn't fix everything because at the end of the day, you know, those things, um, you know, there's, there's, there's definitely a, a, a strong correlation between the two of them. Um, but, but they just need to focus on, 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 on winning. And, and then we'll try and figure out the rest of it in terms of the finances. And you, it could be could have, should have, would have. Um, it could have been that we could have had three games. We might have had one game. At the end of the day, we go to Benetton and let's go and try and beat Benetton. And then we'll figure out where we're playing after that. Um, and if we have silver at the end of the year, I don't really care how we got there. The stadium, which has been a central focus here for such a long time. What's next? Where are you next? What's the, the, there's diggers around. I've seen bits being dug up. And where do you go and when do you start? Yeah, look, um, we're actually out of tender for now two tender at the moment for phase 2A and 2B. And 2A is the uh, new high performance center and new offices. And that uh, then leads into 2B, which is the whole new stand on the clan side of the ground. And so they're done in a, in a, on, on a phase basis. Uh, the reason being that to build this, the new stand, we need to knock the offices and the current changing facilities and, 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 and all of that. The only thing that will be left standing on this side of the ground will be the existing gym. Everything else will be gone. So um, we will be starting um, subject to the tenders. We expect them back around April time. And so the plan is to start this summer on the new high performance center and the new offices. And that will take about 12 months or so to build. When that's built, we're able to migrate into that new building that then allows us to knock the offices and the clan stand 
and to then immediately start the build of the new stand, which will take around 15 months or so. So, um, yeah, so that's the plan. And uh, so obviously we're out to tender and we're waiting for those numbers to come back and uh, to then to be able to say, right, let's go. And all the finances in place. You're, you were saying earlier on that the financial situation in the organization is good, so it's all there ready to roll. Uh, yeah, look, we, we're very positive around that. Obviously, there's only so much I can say because we're in the middle of a tender process. Um, so, look, we're, we genuinely are very, very positive about where we're at. Um, but we're also conscious that, you know, the, the, the project is out to tender. But the intention is to kick off this summer were genuinely really excited and no more so that when the pitch and the lights were done people can start to see the progression and you know we're really looking forward to big big diggers being in here during the summer and people seeing the progression again to the next phase and then the phase thereafter you know when i talk about where the game of rugby is and you know uh, clubs in the UK and further afield that are really having to they're struggling to make ends meet we're very fortunate in that we have a project that can be transformative for us um, commercially and financially um, we're very fortunate that we have that and so one way or the other we will be building in the sports ground um, and the plan is that that will be kicking off this summer and allied to that is you need a team that's performing as well. Is it difficult to keep the focus on both? Because this is a huge project for Connacht. Uh, you know, at the end of the day, we know that uh, a redevelopment of the stadium is absolutely critical to our future. But we also know that we need people who want to come in and be in the stadium because there's a momentum behind how we're performing on the pitch. I mean, there are complete die-hard supporters out there who irrespective they will support us because they're just incredible incredible Connacht rugby supporters I mean honestly I'm, I'm in awe and I, I know that might sound kind of a little bit cliche but I genuinely am in awe of the dedication and the commitment that a lot of those supporters are able to show but there's another group of supporters out there who will come because when there's a buzz around the team and I get that too I mean we, we all we all we all know what that's like um, so you know, we need we need to be successful on the pitch as well to be able to fill a stadium, um, and without getting too financially kind of um, you know technical speak on this, one is a capital cost, one is a funding project, a project that's been funded from from you know capital funds. Another one is a P and L. It's your day-to-day -day trading. And so your budget for players, your, your budget to run the overall organization, that's a P&L. And you can't run that in an unsustainable way where you're constantly burning deficits. You just can't do that. Eventually, you run out of road. And so, um, so it's actually quite straightforward to keep them separate because when you put them down in a sheet of paper, one of them over here is a once-off capital project. The difference being that when this is built and it's developed, it then feeds in additional revenues into the P&L, which becomes an enabler for us to invest in everything that we need to invest in in Connacht Rugby and across the game in general across the province for us to be successful into the future. But at the same time, we can't run... Um, we can't run an operation that just burns cash because we're we're constantly in deficit because we haven't been able to manage the P and L. So 
I hope that doesn't sound too kind of <laughs> too much like finance speak, but they are quite separate matters. But then one will ultimately feed in and enable the other. Arconic then, would you say if I picked a simple word, Arconic in a good space at the moment? Absolutely. Absolutely. And look, I mean, I, I know well that, you know, again, fans out there will go, ah, jeez, why aren't we winning more? And why aren't we doing this? And why aren't we doing that? Like, I suppose, I, I, you know, I, I sit in different committees with the URC and with other competitions. And I see some of the real challenges that other clubs have. We are very fortunate. We're built on solid foundations with an awful lot of exciting stuff that's happening. There are clubs out there genuinely holding on by their fingernails. There are clubs that just have to cut very significantly. I mean, one, one of the things, William, is that, you know, th the shadow of COVID is still hanging over us all. I mean, the reality is post-COVID, the IRFU had to cut the funding for every single province. And I'm not talk talking tens of thousands. I'm talking hundreds of thousands of euros overnight gone. And, and by the way, they had to do that. That's the reality because they have to make ends meet as well. They have a responsibility to be able to manage the game um, in, in a responsible way. And so when that all of a sudden you have this money in your budget and the next year you don't have that, you then have to find ways to, to make that work. And in a number of provinces and a number of clubs further afield, they've had to very considerably cut their player budgets. We haven't. We've actually sustained and kept our budget constant and increased it slightly. And so would we like to invest more? Of course we would. But in that regard, we are built on a much more solid foundation than an awful lot of them. And we all want to win more. We all want to be successful. But we need to be sustainably successful or successfully successful in a sustainable way. And I know that that may not be as exciting or it might not be as quick as everyone would want it to be, but it will, it will be sustainable. And, and as things evolve over the next six to 12 months, people will see just what there is to be getting excited about as well. Well, it's been great to talk to you. Thank you for your time. And uh, we look forward to following Connacht for the rest of this season. There's still a lot of rugby to be played and some big days ahead, we hope. And then next season, it all rolls around again. It won't be long till... Well, we don't know when the season is starting because they haven't told us yet with the World Cup, but I'm sure we'll be let into the secret one of these days, unless you can tell me. Have you been told? <laughs> I have an, an idea, and it's, it's pretty close to the end of the World Cup. So around about um, the quarterfinal stage, maybe. Maybe, maybe, maybe there, maybe there we go. Maybe there we go. Maybe, there we go. Maybe, so there, maybe there you go, folks. That's an exclusive. It'll be sometime around mid-October. So we're going to be quite a long time without Connacht rugby, but uh, we'll find stories to tell you. Good to talk to you. Thank you. Great to talk to you, William. Thank you very much, sir. Connacht rugby coverage brought to you with thanks to Murty Rabbits Galway, the ultimate rugby venue, with the late night entertainment every Friday and Saturday nights till 2 a.m. Visit Murty Rabbits Instagram for more. Murty Rabbits, proud partner of Galway Bay FM's coverage of Connacht rugby.